Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Josh. Hi, my name is Josh, and I'm a compulsive reader. And I have pictures to prove it. I make the same bad joke every time. But now it's recorded. Um, Walter, thank you for asking me to share. Welcome to the newcomer. Congratulations to all the chip takers. And uh, I guess to qualify quickly, um, on December 29th, celebrated six and a half years of abstinence. My abstinence day was June 29, 2002. Um, and my top weight was roughly 260 pounds, so I'm down anywhere from 60 to 70 pounds today. Um, and I've been maintaining that weight loss for, uh, I guess, about five and a half years. Um, and that is... Nothing that I could do on my own. Um, that is 100%, no question, a miracle of this program and my higher power working through me one day at a time. Um, you know, I could not have been more, you know, humbled by the food when I came into program. I was completely licked and completely powerless. Um, to give you, I guess, since I only have 40 minutes to share my story, um, which I <laughs> certainly can't fill up, I'll definitely be getting to questions, but I, I'll start from the beginning, and uh, I'll start with my favorite story, um, which was that I was going to be going on a car trip with uh, my friend and his dad, and uh, it was about an hour and a half drive. So I got excited about the car trip and decided to pack some food for the car trip. Um, I packed two grocery bags worth of food. I remember spending lots of time picking out what specific foods I was going to bring because I was very, you know, nervous about going an hour and a half without eating really good foods. Um, And I still remember exactly, you know, what I picked out and it was, you know, going to be a great car trip. Um, and uh, I got into the car and my friend's dad said to me that there was no eating in the car and I was pissed I still remember being very very upset and scared you know scared that this guy was going to keep me away from you know eating for an hour and a half you know I just you know I didn't know And this was, you know, I was eight years old. I didn't know how I was going to get through an hour and a half without eating, without compulsively overeating. Um, I, you know, and it's just, I don't remember a time when I didn't have that sort of relationship with the food, when when, um, I couldn't, you know, when when I didn't want to turn to the food and when I didn't turn to the food. I'm not one of those people that, before I came into program, I had a long history of going to all the, you know, big name diets um, and doing all that stuff. 
Um, and there's, there's two reasons for that. The first reason being that I had no desire to stop eating compulsively. Absolutely no desire before I came into program. Um, I didn't want to get through a day without eating compulsively because I didn't know how to get through a day without eating compulsively. And I was so comfortable being a compulsive breeder, um, which is, you know, why I was packing the food and, you know, making sure, it was, you know, that I would have it for that hour and a half. Um, whereas when I was home, there was always food around. Um, the second reason is because I came into program um, really young. I was, you know, 19 years old. Um, when I got into program, and I didn't have, you know, you know, thank God I didn't have the years of having to try to go on the diets. I didn't have parents, you know, which I'm so grateful for, that didn't force me to go to, you know, the different, you know, diet places and all that stuff. So I didn't, I don't have any experience with that. And, you know, God willing, one day at a time, if I can stick around, I won't have to go there. Um, because I'm confident that if I stop going to meetings, if I stop working the steps, if I stop sponsoring people, stop calling my sponsor, um, you know, stop making the general calls, let go of my higher power, left that for a couple times a year when I did something religious, um, that I would be back into the food. And I'd be well over 260 pounds, well over probably 300 pounds, because I was on my way up. Um, and um, and it's a it's a it's a scary place when I'm into the food. Um, it's so scary that I didn't even think it was scary. You know, I didn't I didn't know any better. I thought, you know, being young, um, I thought that it was that it was still working. I thought that I was a really happy person. If you asked me. If I was a happy person, you would have been convinced that I was a very happy person. Um, I was still at the point where the food was working at 19 years old. It was numbing me out, um, and it's strong. You know, I'm not. Um, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'm an alcoholic when it comes to food. Um, the doctor's opinion talks about um, just you know, you know, taking one drink and how the phenomenon of craving comes in when an alcoholic has one drink. Well, I take one, you know, compulsive bite of an alcoholic food. Or if I, you know, eat more than I'm supposed to and go beyond, you know, three meals and, you know, a snack in a day, something happens in my head. You know, I get this physical craving, a craving where I cannot do anything but want to eat and won't do anything until um, I can eat. And... Um, you know, that's why, you know, if I, you know, follow my um, my food plan and stick to my absence, which has to do with how much I eat, um, I don't get the, the physical phenomenon of craving. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes still get a craving and think, oh, this seems like a good idea, because, yeah, I'm, you know, I still have this disease. I'm still in the core wired as a compulsive overeater. Um, but, you know, I don't get that you know, over the last, you know, six, six and a half years being removed from it, I don't get that physical craving that they describe um, in the doctor's opinion. And, you know, one of the miracles of this program is that, you know, I can say in front of you guys, you know, today that for the most part, the obsession 
with the food has been lifted. It's not always lifted, but but for the most part, the obsession with the food has been lifted. Um, and what does that mean? That means that I have, you know, a very, very full life today. I'm doing things that I never, ever dreamed that I'd be able to do um, before I came into program. Um, I Before I came into program, I think, uh, you know, like I was very um, into, like, really into being overweight, into being fat. It was like a big part of my identity. Um, and it was like a barrier with people. Um, it was a barrier with the opposite sex. I didn't have to be um, emotionally committed or intimate with the opposite sex because that was something that was scary to me. You know, before I came into program, I think the only girl I ever kissed, she kissed me, you know? Um, and I was, like, shocked. I couldn't believe that she liked me. You know, I just, like, couldn't, I couldn't believe it because I had, you know, no self-esteem with it, and I was, you know, I was afraid of it. You know, now I've been in a healthy relationship with someone that I love for, you know, over three and a half years, and we're getting married, you know, and this is, this is, I mean, it's really, it's, I mean, I'm, you know, very excited, and it's, and I mean, and she's not an overeater, she's not one of us, and she, you know, came today, um, and will come once a year, um, for, you know, my birthday, um, and, um, I guess, uh, you know, that was sort of a lot about, you know, what it was like today and what's happening now. Um, um, before I came into, uh, I'm trying to, I guess I want to get into, like, how I did end up coming into program. But it, it got to the point where, um, you know, I got to, I got to college and, um, because I, I came in after the, the summer going into my, my junior year of college. And it was like I was totally out on my own with the food. You know, in high school, like, I could eat a lot, and I could compulsively overeat. And, you know, I would. I would, you know, eat, I think I would eat, I would eat breakfast in the car, and it would usually be, like, triggered cereal. And then I'd get to school, and there'd be a snack at 10.30. I'd eat another breakfast. Um, and then there'd be lunch, and I'd go out to the drive-thru and get two helpings of food. And then there'd be three o'clock when school's over, and I'd go and get to the drive-through again. Then I'd eat dinner, and then I'd eat, you know, dessert. And that was what it was like in high school. And that was like as much as I could possibly eat, like going to class and, you know, sort of being normal. Um, but I, you know, obviously I was overweight at that, at that, um, in high school, and you know that was, you know, with the car. But like once I got to college, it was like I was totally free to do whatever I wanted. The dorms were, you know, all you can eat, and I would just go to the drive-through. Um, after dinner every night, and then I would go to the, you know, to the one that was closed at 1.30, um, and then I'd go to the one that was 24 hours after, and I'd find a donut shop that was 24 hours. And I would always go with people. Um, I would never, not, not very often I would go by myself. Because if I was with other people when I was doing it, it felt like it was okay. If someone else saw what I was doing, I felt like I could justify it, and I felt like it was normal. I didn't go with the same people because no one liked to eat as often as I did. Um, but I would find someone else to do it. And I had lots of friends to do that. You know, and I went to a school where people liked to, you know, drink and do other stuff. And I'd always be sober because I didn't care about that stuff. I just cared about getting to the drive-thru. So I said, yeah, I can drive us, you know, there. And then we'd go. And I was, you know, really popular that way. Um, 
And, you know, it was a big part of who I am. I mean, in high school, I was, um, I was, they named the pie eating contest after me after my senior year, and I was in charge of it. Um, I, my, um, my, my parents, you know, when I was thinking about careers, you know, my parents said, um, you should do, you should do something that you love, because that way when you get up every day and you go to work, it won't feel like work. You know, it'll be, it'll be what you want to do. So, so I was going to be a food critic. That was the plan. <laughs> I, was, I was actually taking steps towards becoming a food critic, but they weren't, I, it was pretty half-assed, but I would talk about it a lot, and I would like, you know, I had a food journal, and I would like write critiques, and I wrote a critique in the high school newspaper, and I, you know, go on these interviews for college, and I tell them that I specifically wanted to be a food critic, like how can this school help me do that? Um, and I thought that that was my destiny. And you know what? It seemed like a great idea. I thought that it wasn't going to get better than that. You know, they were going to pay me to go eat food. Like, <laughs> I was going to do it anyway, so I might as well make a living out of it. Um, so that's a lot about what it was like. Um, and, uh, you know, going into my junior year of college, um, you know, it was, you know, something had happened. And um, I, uh, I started, I, I remember I, like, played basketball one time with my friends, and it was, like, really difficult. And they were all shocked that I was playing basketball with them in the first place because um, I realized as I was playing, like, I hadn't really done exercise for, like, four years, you know? It was like I hadn't wanted to, like, I hadn't done it, like, I was very you know, very lazy and still can't, you know, still am. Like, I don't want to, you know, go out and go to the gym and, you know, do exercise. Like, that doesn't sound fun to me. It's not something I would ever do. Um, And it was like, as I was doing it, I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy. And I, you know, started, you know, sort of examining what was going on. Um, And I'm just so, you know, fortunate that I have, you know, my dad is in Overeaters Anonymous. And he had been in program for, um, what, five years before? Five years before um, I came into program. And I knew he was in program, and that's about all I knew about program, was that he was in program. Um, I also knew, growing up, that my dad had um, struggled with his food, um, had, you know, fluctuated some, but was mostly, you know, overweight, and then he had maintained a weight loss for you know, many years in Overeaters Anonymous. So those were the those were the two seeds that were that were planted before I came to my, you know, those were the seeds that were planted before I even came to my first meeting. Um, not once did I ever have, you know, either of my parents tell me I should go to Overeaters Anonymous. Um, they certainly knew I was a compulsive overeater. Everyone around me knew that I was a compulsive overeater. I would have been the first person to tell you that I was a compulsive overeater if you would ask me. If you said, are you a compulsive overeater? I would have said, yeah, I guess that sounds like what I am, you know. <laughs> like, I eat all the time, and I love it, and that sounds like a cool thing to be, and that's what, that's what I do. Um, and, um, but not, it, but the, you know, the big book talks about, and the, you know, the traditions talk about that it's, you know, it's a program of attraction, not promotion. Um, and in every sense, it was, you know, it was it was the attraction. It was never, you know, you should do this. It was just him, you know, living his life, you know, with these, you know, principles. Um, 
and me being curious enough to ask about it. So I asked, and he said, whoa, I'll take you to a meeting. You know, didn't even try to explain anything to me, nothing, just took me to a meeting. Um, took me to Serenity Sunday um, at Rock Spray Park, which is one of the, the biggest um, OA meetings in the world. Um, and I got there, and like I said, I'd been like sort of more willing and you know, interested in it, and never been interested in any sort of weight loss or anything like that before. Um, and I, you know, heard people talking about food um, in the way that I just described it to you guys. I heard people talking about, you know, eating in ways that I'd never really heard other people talking about it, especially, you know, so eloquently. You know, I knew that, you know, of course there were other overweight people and stuff out there and stuff and people that overate, but I didn't really understand that I wasn't alone with, like, what I was doing. Um, and I also heard people saying, I think the leader had been, you know, over 400 pounds and he looked normal and he'd been maintaining the weight loss for, like, three years and he had, you know, this belt that he brought with him where, it was like his old belt, and it had a bunch of buckles, and he showed how big the belt was on his waist now, and I was like, I'm totally blown away. Um, you know, I heard people say they had been maintaining hundreds of pounds of weight loss for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you know, things that I, had, I just never even heard of. So I could tell, and then, you know, my dad was there, so I, I knew that it, that it worked, um, and I, you know, never heard of anything else like this that had worked. Um, I was a little weirded out about the, the God thing. I didn't really understand what that was about, um, but not so weirded out that I wouldn't come back. Um, and, you know, within the first few meetings, it was pointed out to me that, you know, it's not God. It's a power greater than ourselves. And it actually says that and underlines it, I guess, in the, in the third step, which is care of God as we understood him. Um, and it's uh, came to believe a power greater than ourselves. So the second step, even though it's about higher power, doesn't even mention God. Um, it just has to do with it not being not being me. My higher power can be anything but Josh. Um, my you know my favorite higher power that I ever heard of was um, when I was in I studied abroad in Australia, um, and this was you know about a year into program, a little less than a year into program. And I was totally scared, like, how am I going to go abroad and stay, you know, abstinent? How am I going to do this? I'm so used to being, you know, in America and doing this and having meetings to go to. Well, you know, I looked it up ahead of time. I found meetings. You know, every Saturday I had a home meeting, and that's what I did, and I got a sponsor out there that I called every day. Uh, I worked the, you know, sixth and seventh step with her. Um, and... Um, Trying to think. Oh, yeah, so the story was this, this woman said um, that she was an AA also and that one of the higher power conceptions that she'd heard about was someone had, their higher power was a train on this main street in Australia that had all these bars on it because the train was able to go past the bars without stopping. And that was, that was his higher power. Um, so for me, it would be like, a, you know, a train that's next to, you know, all the fast food places that you can imagine. It would totally go without, you know, driving through because, um, you know, that seems like a miracle to <laughs> me. Um, and um, I don't even know where where I was, but I, in terms of uh, 
anything. But yeah, so I, when I came to my first meeting, it was like, it was like I was kind of freaked out about that, but I wasn't too freaked out. Um, and someone came up to me after uh, that first meeting, that Sunday Sunday. He said, I used to be 400 pounds. Um, he looked totally normal. He was like in his 20s. Um, and he said, here's my number. You know, call me. And so that was intriguing enough for me to call him. Um, I called him up, and uh, he said, before you make up your mind on this program, um, go, to six, go to six meetings before you make up your mind. Um, so I think it was about the third or fourth meeting that I realized this was something um, that I really wanted. And, be, and that guy, you know, really, you know, planted the seed with me, um, you know, by, by giving me his number, you know, and, and, let, and, you know, letting me call him. And by, just by me taking the step of calling, it was like sort of, you know, starting to work the first step, like admitting that I was powerless and that I couldn't do it on my own and I wanted some help. Um, not just going to the meeting, but actually doing something like that. And um, and because of that, you know, like a, 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 whenever I go to a meeting and there's, especially if it's a guy and it's a newcomer, I'll definitely go up to them um, and, and give them my number and just say, look, you know, here's a little bit about me. If you have any questions, please, you know, call me, even if I'm not looking to 12-step them or anything else, but just to, just to, just to, you know, sort of pay forward for what was, you know, done for me. Um, and not only that, but that helps me. You know, talking to newcomers, that's what I need. Like, I need to be, I can't just be talking to people that have been in program for, you know, a few years or way more years than me. Like, I need to be, like, I need to remember what it's like to be in the crux of this disease. Remember what it's like and hear the fear in their voice, you know, talking about, you know, like, how to be absent today, how to do that. Because, you know, it's so easy to forget how scary that is, how scary it is to, you know, come up with your absence with the sponsor and try to do it one day at a time. Um, and, uh, you know, if, I, if I'm not in constant contact with newcomers, I'll forget that. And then as soon as I forget that, I'll stop coming, and then I'll get out there, um, which is one of the reasons why I, I love hearing about people that um, that relapsed and came back to program, because I, I want to hear about what, what it's like to be back out there. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to forget. Um, so that's something that hopefully you know I won't have to go to today. Um, but um, yeah, so I you know got you know was going to the meetings and was you know trying to get abstinent and didn't really understand what it meant and I kept on hearing people like things like get a get a sponsor. Um, and work the steps. And I didn't really know what that meant. You know, I'd talk to my dad about it and get some feedback, but it was like, you should get a, you should get a sponsor. So I finally figured out I should get a sponsor. So three weeks into the program, I was going to a bunch of meetings. I was you know, trying to clean up my food. I was trying to do it. And, um, and I kept on, you know, asking people at different meetings to be my sponsor. And everyone was full. Uh, no, one, no one could do it. And, uh, and I wanted to have, you know, a male sponsor. So... Finally, I went to uh, the men's stag meeting on Wednesday night. It used to be in Brentwood, and now it's in Westwood. Um, and I was waiting for them, you know, diligently to um, say, well, all available sponsors raised their hands, and then for them to do that. And they never did that, because they don't do that at that meeting. So um, at the end of the meeting, I was just, like, desperate for a sponsor and really wanted it. And... Um, 
And so I, you know, stood up and I said, you know, look, you know, I'm new to program, but I really want to want to sponsor. Is anyone willing to sponsor me? Three guys came up to me and gave me their numbers. Um, and that's how I got my first sponsor. Um, you know, after getting a sponsor, I, you know, did, you know, with that sponsor developed, you know, the abstinence and, and, and my food plan. Um, and I started working the steps. I started working the steps through, um, through this book, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, which um, for me is a, you know, really important piece of literature um, in my recovery. Um, and um, it's written for alcoholics, but it completely works for this disease. Um, the only difference between our program and, uh, you know, AA program is the first and the twelfth step. Um, in terms of uh, we've made we're powerless over food rather than alcohol, and then having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry the message of the compulsive overeater. So we have to actually, um, like even though they're, they're very similar, we have to still, you know, work the steps in each individual program because it's so important that we're focusing on the food and focusing on the other, the other compulsive overeaters. Um, but it's, you know, it really, you know, translated for me. At first it was a little, you know, weird to get past, like, when it was written. It was written in the 30s. Um, and, you know, some of it seems like it's outdated, but for the most part it was, you know, it was really described um, what it was like for me. Um, and uh, another piece of literature that I found very great was the OA 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Um, for a while, my home meetings were an OA 12 and 12 study um, and a big book study. Um, and um, so I, you know, started, you know, working the steps with the sponsor, you know, was doing that, you know, going to, you know, two, three meetings a week, making outreach calls, um, you know, started, you know, through that, believing in a power greater than myself and, you know, actually, you know, relying on that higher power to get me through the day without compulsively overeating. Um, because like I said earlier, I can't do this on my own. I couldn't get through just one day without compulsively overeating because I didn't want to. And if I had tried, I'm confident that I wouldn't have been able to. Um, you know, I you know really need something that's not me, you know, a higher power to, um, to, to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, was, you know, going through the steps and, you know, was, you know, taking some, you know, service commitments when I was out in college. They, you know, I was, you know, going to, you know, a meeting where I was the only guy that ever went to the meeting. I think there was like one or two weeks where another guy came. Um, and uh, it was me and like 12 women that were, you know, 40 years older than me. Um, and... Uh, and it was and it was great, you know. And I was and that's what I needed, you know. I needed to be going to the meetings. I needed to be going to to any length. Um, and they made me the secretary at some point of the meeting. That's what they needed. Um, and I was, you know, happy to do it. And it got me there, you know. Doing, the, you know, they say the service is swimming, but it's, you know, it's it's just it just keeps you there. It keeps you coming back. Um, you know, when you have a service commitment, it's like no if ands or buts. You know, you're just there. Um, and uh, I found that to be very helpful and, you know, got through the steps, you know, made, you know, 
made you know I made amends and I'm totally out of order. I guess I you know wrote the fourth step, which was um, which was really scary because my sponsor said to me, he said, um, write down your dirt, deepest and darkest secret, um, and then. Um, and then he told me that how to write the fourth step, and then I was going to be reading everything with him. It's so, like after I wrote down my deepest and darkest secret, I was like not wanting to, you know, share it with my sponsor. I was like so scared. Um, it was like not a big deal at all um, after I, you know, shared it with him. But like, you know, before it was like, you know, this is this is my secret. This is you know, what was you know going on with me. Like I didn't think that anyone would ever have anything deeper or darker than what I had going on, which was definitely not the case. Um, and it was it was fine. And he just, you know, you know, looked at me and said, That's that's great, that's fine. You know, he still loved me, didn't you know, didn't care, didn't judge me for it. Um, and then shared with me, you know, stuff about his past. Um, and um, but it was it was scary, you know, I didn't want to do it, you know, I was afraid to, you know, do the fifth step and hand it over with him. Um, and then, you know, got through, you know, looking at my defects of character and looking at what they were, you know. Um, at first I didn't even think I really had very many because I <laughs> thought I was, you know, perfect, but they, they, they not only were there, but they definitely come up once you put down the food. Um, and they become very glaring. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to use a higher power for that, too. Um, to remove that, and they still come back, and I still have to, you know, do the seventh step and humbly ask my higher power to remove these defects of character. Um, and, you know, got to the, you know, making amends, and a lot of the amends would come from what was going on in the fourth step, um, because, once again, I didn't think I had that many amends to make, um, and then a bunch of stuff came up, um, you know, and I had amends to make where I thought that the person... I was so afraid of it, I thought the person wasn't even going to take my phone call. Um, and, um, you know, I felt so bad about what I did, but I just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I just wanted to, you know, put it, you know, put it away and not, not have to make the amends. Um, and uh, I finally became willing. And, you know, after talking to a sponsor about it, and he said, look, you, if you make the call and this person won't return your call, then you've done your part. You know, it's not. It doesn't matter whether or not they're willing to to see you, or whether or not they're willing to accept your amends. It has to do with you trying to make it. I have ten more minutes. Wow. Um, and um, and so that that made me become willing to do it because then I was like, okay, it doesn't. So it doesn't have to go the way that I want it to go, and it may not even go the way that I think it's going to go. Um, and of course. And I thought they wouldn't take the call, and they were willing to see me. I had to travel up um, to the Bay Area to see this person. Saw me. It was great, and we were able to, you know, make the amends. And we're, you know, very friendly now. Um, and I, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't, you know, I was too afraid. And I didn't want to deal with it. Um, and that's just, you know, one of the, you know, miracles of the program. Um, and you know, I'm so grateful that. Um, I, you know, got into this program six and a half years ago. So grateful that, you know, my dad was in the program and had planted that seed. Um, and just so grateful for, 
you know, all the, you know, amazing things that have come, you know, since being in program, because it was so much was, you know, you know, shoveling it down and, and, and being dumb and thinking I was happy. And now today I can say that, you know, I do live through, you know, the ups and downs, um, but I'm totally happy and for the most part um, can be in acceptance. So thanks for asking me, Cher. I'm going to, I wanted to get to some questions, so I have 10 minutes for, for some questions. Does anybody have any? Um, when you are in the down point, what mm-hmm. are the tools that you use? Um, the tools that I use, I make a lot of outreach calls. Um, my sponsor makes more outreach calls than anybody I know, and then whenever he gets an outreach call, he'll make another one. Um, so that's been something that um, that has been very helpful for me is to make a lot of outreach calls. Um, and I learned, you know, early on that we we make the outreach calls when things are going good, so that it's so easy it's easy to do it when they're when they're going bad. You know, like when I am having a bad day, I'll still be making the calls. But when I'm having a good day, it's just like, you know, putting in, you know, more insurance and more, you know, and just, you know, keeping, you know, keeping it stable. And it's like, yeah, maybe I could get through the day without doing it if I just called my sponsor and not made the other calls. But it's like by doing it, it's like I'm getting calls back on the hard days and I'm, you know what I mean, doing stuff. So that's something I found very helpful. Um, you know, going to meetings is always great. Um because then it's like you're forced to, you know, see people and listen to the the program. I find literature meetings to be um, really good because even if I don't get anything out of the meeting, which doesn't happen very often, I'll get something out of the literature. Um, I um, I use these recordings actually a lot. I forgot to talk about that. Um, the we, you know, my fiance and I took a big trip to you know, China and Thailand right after, uh, you know, I guess in in March. Um, And I was totally worried about not being able to get to meetings. Um, I ended up getting to one meeting in Bangkok um, and and an AA meeting in China. Um, And in between that, I would listen to these meetings um, on my iPod. I downloaded probably like 60 of them, you know, and was listening to them all the time. And I'm, you know, so grateful for this to be, you know, in this day and age with this technology. I, when I went to Australia, I had a bunch of meetings on tape that I used, but I, I, I'm not, like, big on, um, on reading. Um, for me, reading's tough, so I like, I like to listen. Like, I have the big book on tape, and I <laughs> listen to it at one point. Um, but, I, you know, I like listening to stuff, so, you know, having these meetings is really helpful for me. And, um, you know, going on the trip, it was, like, funny, because I could go up to friends from program afterwards and be like, hey, like, I was listening to you on a train from, you know, Shanghai to wherever, and they think that was really funny. Um, and um, and everyone that they have, you know, speaking, especially for the, this meeting, you know, for the most part will have, like, long-term abstinence. Um, and um, and they, all, they all say the same stuff. They all talk about working the steps and getting a sponsor um, and going to meetings and all the stuff. I have five minutes. So I thought that that was, that that was interesting, and, um, and I found that to be true for my experience as well. Um, 
but um, you know, use my you know higher power and um, just try to you know stay connected and that stuff. I don't do as much writing as I would like. So um, yeah. Yeah. So the question is about how I'm going to paraphrase it and make it a little shorter, but it's just basically about how I was able to become, you know, intimate and get to that level and have, you know, real relationships and be, you know, be at a point where I'm getting engaged in a healthy relationship. Um, and um, for me, that was, you know, that was stuff that, you know, came up in working the steps and, you know, you know, writing, writing the fourth step and, like, with the fear, with that stuff. Um, and I had to, you know, really work on, you know, praying to be comfortable in the body that I'm in today. Um, I didn't really go into this very much, but I did go into the fact that I, you know, really enjoyed being being overweight and being fat, and that was a big part of my identity. Well, another part of that was I was really afraid and scared of being skinny. I didn't want to be skinny. I didn't want to look like a normal person. I thought that people wouldn't like me if I looked normal. I didn't think that I'd be funny. I didn't think I'd be cool, and I didn't. I, I was just afraid of what would happen if I looked like this because I was afraid of, you know, the intimacy and, you know, various other stuff. So it it really, you know, came to, you know, it wasn't like as soon as I got skinny I became comfortable in the body because it definitely <laughs> was not that. It took it took a lot of time. And, I mean, it was, it was years until, you know, after I lost the weight that I was even willing to talk about giving up my old clothes, you know, and, and the clothes from when I was overweight. Um, and, um, but it, it really came from, you know, working the steps and, you know, praying for a healthy body image. Um, and, you know, as soon as, you know, I, you know, did let it go and, you know, was able to do this, it sort of, it gave me confidence that I'd never, you know, had before. Um, I was able to really feel good about what I was, you know, doing with my life, and that sort of put me in a position where I was willing to be intimate and have, you know, a healthy relationship. I'm really, you know, fortunate that I grew up with parents that, that had that. Um, so it was something that I knew was possible, but it was something that, you know, I was afraid of and had to, you know, write about and, you know, really pray about. So. Short. Short. How much from time to able? Two minutes. Two minutes, okay. Yeah? What's your food plan and how did you figure out on what food to eat and how to eat? All right, so it's, it's a question about my food plan, how to figure out what foods to eat and not to eat. Um, I guess I can explain what my food plan and my abstinence is pretty quickly. Um, my abstinence, like I said before, is, has to do with how much I eat. Um, it's three meals a day and an optional snack. I hesitate to say moderate meals because not every time it's a moderate meal, but it's pretty moderate. There's a beginning and an end to the, to the meal. Um, and... Um, so that has to do with how much I eat, which is, which is really important. That's my bottom line. My food plan has to do with what foods I eat. Um, the way that I developed my food plan with my sponsor was I had three categories of foods. I had um, red light foods, green light foods, and yellow light foods. Um, the red light foods were the foods that I could eat today. Those were the alcoholic foods, the foods that 
um, when I took just one bite of, I got the physical phenomenon of craving. Um, I, you know, can go into what the details of what those foods are, but it really depends on the individual. Um, it's, I have people that I sponsor that eat stuff I don't, and et cetera. But quickly, the yellow light foods are the foods that I can that I can eat, but I have to be careful with. And the green light foods are the foods that I can eat today, and it's not a problem. So that's that's all the time we have. All right, great. Thanks for letting me share.